Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both businesses and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities, but at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls and unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. Hi, folks. This is Kevin Van Trump here coming to you with our first podcast series with my good friend Andy Daniels. Uh, we happen to have a partner of ours, Carter Williams, on the phone, founder and uh, CEO of iSelect. What was that, Carter? You there? I am here. Right on. We're super excited. I, you know, it's, it's, it's fortunate and unfortunate. We're, we're kind of launching this in the midst of this uh, craziness and the chaos associated with coronavirus. But we're getting a lot of calls and uh, people uh, writing in and asking kind of our opinions on some things, uh, our strategies, what we're seeing, how it may impact uh, some of our personal investments and some of our opinions and thoughts on how it may impact the ag space moving forward. And we just thought it would be a good time. to Andy and I had been talking the last few days, and Carter and I, and we thought we would maybe circle the wagons here a little bit. And and, uh, and, and just kind of, like I said, this is going to be an unfiltered kind of conversation Uh thought-provoking session between uh, the three of us and, and, and just we hopefully we can share and uh, challenge your perspectives moving forward. So, Andy, you got anything to add to that since you're going to be on here co-hosting with me uh, throughout different times? So, you got anything to add to that? No, no. I, I think that, you know, the, the primary objective here is, is just to try to share uh, and, and, and discuss things that are kind of outside the box um, that are disruptive and uh, you know, outside the mainstream kind of thinking in conventional wisdom. And certainly uh, the issues that are facing us right now are <laughs> that on steroids. So, no, I think that, uh, that's a good place to begin and uh, look forward to a variety of other speakers as we go forward uh, discussing other topics and uh, hopefully some that aren't quite as, uh, as drastic and dramatic as the ones we're faced with right now. Right, right. I, um, Carter, I think, as you know, my daughter was in quarantine, still in quarantine, gets out in a few days from Italy, and my son was stuck over in Toronto yesterday, and I know a lot of the listeners have family and friends abroad and people traveling en route, and maybe if you can just tell the listeners, Carter, a little of your background uh, before I select with the DOD and Boeing and different things, and maybe and give us your insight on what's happening here and how this thing's going to maybe play out. That's a, a broad question, but uh, early part of my career, I spent working at McDonnell Douglas and Boeing, and as part of that, we looked at every threat that could hit the U.S., and as part of that, we looked at a lot of bioterrorism, and so in the 97-98 time frame, I spent some time worrying about whether they were real bio threats or natural threats 
and then again after 9-11, and then a little bit later in my career, for another reason, was involved around swine flu, and so have considered what the implications of things like this are, and how the U.S. should respond, and and I'll say that it's certainly a lot of, there's a lot of perspective in the DOD on how to address these issues, and they've wargamed it and thought about it. Um, you know, we, for example, put away 10,000 ventilators and national storage and antibiotics and things of that sort. So the, the sort of commentary that we're not prepared is, I think, not completely accurate. Um, you know, and I was thinking today that uh, nobody after uh, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, polio, Spanish flu, AIDS, Al-Qaeda, Katrina, swine flu, we always were a little slow to catch up at the beginning, but, but ultimately figured out how to get our act together in a particular way. Um, so I'll sort of leave it at that. I mean, uh, Carter, you know, what, what's your, what do you think? I mean, I, just, I can toss out and, and give you the numbers that we were hearing from some notes we were getting from, uh, I guess, some of the powers that be that circled the wagons late last week. Uh, you know, we are talking the numbers that we've seen floating around are anywhere from 50% plus could possibly be infected here in the U.S., and the numbers were anywhere from 50 to 70 percent, uh, actually, and, you know, and you extrapolate that out with a 1 percent mortality rate, and, you know, you got 160 million people infected, and, you know, you're talking 1.6 million deaths, possibly 2 million deaths uh, spread out over, I guess what they're wanting to say is somewhere try and be 18 to 24 months, I, it seems like the catchphrase for everyone is uh, containment's kind of out the window and we're, we're going to focus on care and how are we going to set up care. And then, you know, how does that, uh, those dominoes start to tumble as we've seen this weekend, uh, Apple's closing stores and Walmart's cutting hours and closing places. And you've got uh, a lot of the retails uh, closing places and locations. And, you know, I think, I think people want to, you know, there's just, we've never seen anything quite like this type of fallout. Um, how long do we think it's going to last? How long do we think this could play out? Andy Carter? Well, I'll, I'll say I, one of the one of my sub-degrees in grad school was around something called system dynamics. So I think about the math often, and I would say that we don't have the data to get the math right yet. Um I think it's a high number of 480,000 deaths is not not unreasonable. Um, I personally think the number will be lower. Um, we we have a lot of mitigation in place. It seems like people are taking social distancing serious. Uh, the comorbidity is significant. Um, I am aware that the Chicago hospitals, one particular Chicago hospital is full up on their ICU and their containment facility. Uh, that probably is full with a lot of false positives. So the data is all over the map. Um, I think 
it's super important to get the containment going. And we really won't know the numbers and get a good forecast for a couple of weeks. Yeah, but the containment issue is also, I mean, that's another argument that we had. I mean, I don't see any social containment where we're at. I mean, there, there's limited, very limited, uh, in my opinion, through the Midwest, through the airports and other places. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not seeing that play out with my kids and their travels and uh, their friends. And Hell, you still got lines outside of bars. And my daughter was in Italy till the day they had to leave, or two, two days before they had to leave. There were still people going to clubs and nightclubs and restaurants, and it wasn't until they finally shut that down uh, did we, you know, maybe are they going to maybe get on top of it. And that's kind of the question Andy and I debated. You know, you have China, it's a communist dictatorship type of play where they can do that and lock places down. How do we get that type of containment here in the U.S., or can we even think about that? Yeah, I think we can achieve it through transparency. Um, and people, I mean, to some degree, the people aren't paying attention are young people, and to some degree, it doesn't matter on young people. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Andy, you've got some thoughts? Well, I don't, I don't see how we can contain it. I, I think that it's, it's, it's cutting out, um, large gatherings and, uh, you know, limiting travel and, and, and contact with people. The only thing I've seen in, in Florida or Chicago is I haven't seen anyone wear a mask. The only thing I see is people uh, fist bumping or, or uh, clicking elbows instead of shaking hands. And, and you know, so far I don't know anyone that's been affected, fortunately, and, I'm, and most people don't because we only have, what, 4,500 cases and 47 deaths in this country. Heck, in, in uh, 2009 with H1N1, we had 60.8 million cases and almost 13,000 deaths. And so, you know, and, and, and most people don't even remember that uh, or, or certainly weren't aware that the number that was that high. Is that because social media now is uh, 80% of the people are involved in social media, and, and back then maybe 15% were? Um, so, you know, I, what, what is really causing this panic uh, is obviously that it's probably more contagious than anything we've dealt with before, and we just don't know if this is going to mutate into other uh, uh, varieties and strains. Is it going to get worse? Um, uh, and, and so it's the fear of the unknown, I think, that's creating a lot of this. Um, and where we go from here is, is really anyone's guess. Um, I, I, I don't know. And I, I think anyone who says they know probably is mistaken because this is going to play out day to day. Um, and until we get to a point where we, we have some better understanding of, of, of uh, um, how widespread it is, could this be a big, a, a big dead end and, and we end up with, uh, you know, 500,000 cases and, 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 and 1,000 deaths, or is it going to be, as you said, Kevin, the, the couple million? I certainly think it's going to, we're going to have a better handle on this. We will cure this a heck of a lot quicker, whether it's through vaccines or through treatments, than 18 to 24 months. I think this country, this country and the world would uh, be falling apart at the seams if it took us that long. Um, we'll, we'll be not going the traditional routes of, of uh protocols and pivotal studies with FDA. Uh, there'll be black op 
operations that are going to uh, be testing in a much more dramatic way, I have to believe, and that we should have something, if you believe any of the headlines that you're reading anymore the last few days, um, something that's going to be out there sooner than later and in the next few months, I would think. Certainly on a treatment base and, and, uh, and, and on a vaccine base, who knows how quick that could happen. But you have the entire world attention and resources behind this situation, and, and I can't imagine that it's going to take anywhere near that long. Well, so I would say in no uncertain terms, if anybody has a comorbidity, so diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, if you're on an ARB or a ACE2 inhibitor, um, socially isolate immediately, without question. Um, if you're over the age of 50 and into 60, socially isolate immediately. I don't know how to get the rest of the population to do that, but but uh, that you should just do without question. If you aren't going to socially isolate, be have two to three weeks of food on hand because if you are put in quarantine, you can't go out and shop at that point. So, so do that. Um, in the as it applies to vaccine. We've got a few things going on. Um, one, our, the technology as a result of immunotherapy and modern technology has dramatically increased. So, for example, the people working on vaccines right now are taking digital copies rather than actual copies of the, the virus and working on vaccines. So all this stuff is where you would need to take it and create a... Um, and, and try to replicate the virus and do a whole bunch of things that are very lab-based, you can now do digitally. And so between where we were with swine flu and where we are today, we are a hundred times easier to develop the concept of a vaccine. The challenge with coronavirus is it historically we build fewer immunities, I believe, to coronavirus-type vector compared to like swine flu or influenza. And so it is unclear the degree to which you might get a herd immunity. We can get a herd immunity two ways, through vaccine or through people getting it and recovering. In the math, it's a little unclear as the degree, because we don't have as much experience with the, the vector of coronavirus. Um, in this in this kind of setting, it's unclear um, the degree to which we can develop a vaccine, or if somebody gets it, degree that it would create a protective nature. If you recall from the Spanish flu, what sort of happened is the first wave of Spanish flu in the spring of eighteen was not unlike what we're seeing here, where it was the implication was not dramatic. It, it moved around, a whole bunch of people recovered from it. But then we were going into World War I, and we took all the kids from, from Denver and Kansas City and Plano, Texas, and stuck them. They all had different immunities because they really didn't spend much time with each other in 1918. Oh, yeah. We stuck them all on a troop ship together, and the virus sort of bounced its way through and mutated very rapidly and became more 
more dangerous. And they really saw in the fall of 18 a different kind of reaction that became very dramatic, and a lot of deaths occurred in the fall of 18. So we could go down two paths. One is that kind of path. The other path is this thing just sort of dwindles out into the spring and moves south into the southern hemisphere and maybe bounces back at a much lower level. And then certainly our defenses are a lot more dramatic than they were before, and we could come up with some form of a vaccine. So I, I, I just have no idea. Um, all the things you said, Andy, I think are are possible. Um, hopefully, we can speed this stuff up. I mean, the why didn't we get the tests out earlier? Part of it was FDA wouldn't authorize people. Why? Because they didn't have proof positive that the test didn't have high false negative rate. I mean, some of that kind of thinking has got to change out of the bureaucracy. Um, I don't know if it will. If it does, it will be a pivotal moment in how we think about healthcare. Because I think guys like Scott Gottlieb, who left FDA, was really focused on how do we drive more personalized healthcare. How do we bring more products to market? How do we use genetic testing to understand population health? I mean, there's we're right on a the precipice of a more personalized, data-driven healthcare that will transform healthcare over the next 50 years. And some of the work that's going on, there's a great guy up in Seattle who's looking at all the instances of this data around and looking at the the tracing through the genetics. And I think looking at the tracing and the mutation of the genetics is probably going to do more to teach us about how to deal with this in the future than anything we've done before. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm in total agreement on that, Carter. I, you know, I think the question we're hearing a lot of, I don't know, investors and traders and people are keep asking is, you know, do, you know, where do we think this thing plays out time frame wise? Like you said, are we going to get a second wave that's going to create some more massive headwind? And I, you know, the risk models right now, I think what has everyone baffled is, is that it's not really a financial meltdown uh, that has triggered it. It's going to be more about human psychology, in my opinion, and how human psychology plays out moving forward in the days and weeks ahead. And how do we assess the risk on the carnage on the carnage of that fallout. Um, like I said, when we woke yeah. up Thursday morning and you have, you know, like I said, Andy, I mean, you're, you're in a, you're in a different world now and you, you have to use different type of thinking as an investor or a trader uh, from my perspective and my personal perspective is, I mean, we've never woke up before and you got major league baseball canceled and Disney world closed and uh, the NBA's off and you're closed and retail establishments uh, right and left. And uh, you know, how, how do you, assess the risk uh, adversity that's going to be faced moving forward if we do lock down transportation lock down start losing some rail uh and start losing some of those things i think those are big big questions and i I, you know you know that's got andy and i both really uh you know nervous on our own personal investment front do do you not agree andy on that oh i do 
I do. And, uh, you know, the, the, the half degree of separation all these issues involve in our, in our modern society is, and the domino effect of it all is, is just, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, Kevin, you were telling me a little bit earlier about uh, some conversations you've had with uh, various people, um, one, one in particular, the uh, president of the U.S. Pork Association, and, and give a little bit of color on what, what his comments were regarding, uh, you know, the ability to get workers and, and, and the consequence of school shutting and those kinds of things. Well, I think just the worry across the pork industry is as you start to extrapolate and start to move some of these dominoes, it gets, it gets worrisome, like Andy said, that, you know, at the pork processing plants, you know, what, what's the demographic of most of the workers there? And, you know, there's a lot of minority uh, workers and a lot of women workers. And so when they closed the elementary schools in and around those areas, you started to see people not show up to work because they got to stay home and take care of their kids. We started to hear calls, uh, you know, and that backs up. Like I said, you can't process hogs uh, to a degree that you could. That starts to back up that line. We've heard from hospitals, like Andy and I said, we've heard some hospitals calling in that they're having a, they've obviously had a shortage of nurses, but now they're having a real shortage of nurses uh, because the schools have closed. And then when they start to close, and they're closing daycares and uh, places, child care centers. Well, now you know you're going to have moms staying home to take care of kids, and how does that back up? Uh, things we saw in China, uh, Carter, as they were battling it, they were having problems at the ports and the port congestion along the rail lines because they couldn't get some of the lower wage workers to show up to unload uh, at the ports or or to load at the rails. So, you know, as you start to extrapolate and move that forward, and if we have to lock down some transportation, when it, what happens if Amazon decides they're they're going to stop on the trucking side of things? You know, if they can't get people well, at, the, at the warehouses to show up to load the boxes. Yeah, so this is where this is where we just have to get, and I don't know whether this is at national level or we just have to get aggressive because we've got a young population that's less likely to be harmed by this. Right. The practical reality is if they're all wearing masks and they're washing their hands on a regular basis, they can still work. And I think what it's going to take is someone to say, yeah, keep coming to work, wear a mask. Um, it could be that, hey, we're going to put people into alternate shifts of stay here at the factory and work for a week and then, and then shift people back. But I think we all have a duty. Everybody who runs a business has a duty to make sure their business continues to run because the economic harm associated with this is going to be cascading and, and thinking about making sure that hourly workers, you know, what happened in 08 in part was we had a slowdown in the economy, hourly workers that shouldn't have had a mortgage, had a mortgage. They couldn't make the mortgage. They defaulted on their mortgage and it all started cascading. I don't know if we have the same situation now. We'll find out afterwards. But I, I think that if you run a business or you work in a business, your personal responsibility is to ask the question tonight, tomorrow, and the next day, how do we keep making money and keep this business running uh, even amongst this? And the practical reality is South Korea did this. They all put on masks, and they all went about their business, and kept going to work 
And I think we've got to take that kind of attitude. Well, yeah, I hear, I hear, I hear what you're saying, but I, you know, you start to play out human psychology a little bit differently. And never before in America have we had our biggest demographic, the millennials, living at home with parents and grandparents. I mean, we we've seen that shift. Uh, our youngest are now living <laughs> with our elderly. There's a problem brewing as they travel all around the world and they do the things like you said. They're not heeding some of those warnings. I also feel you have, and I'm just playing devil's advocate a little bit on the corporate side of things. You have a little bit of a perfect storm in the sense that you have a really tight labor market with very low unemployment. You've got some companies that are flush with cash, so you know they're going to try and keep their employees because they don't know the extent or the distance that this moves, and they know if they come back online, like Disney, closing all their, take Disney, for example, closing all of their uh, locations. Now, you know they're going to keep their employees on or try to keep the people on as long as they can, but that's got to create a cash burn like no other. Um, and as that cash burn plays forward, then and you've got banks, we, we, the Fed's going to drop rates to zero, it looks like, uh, assumably. Well, are the banks going to have a lot of incentives to take high-risk type loans uh, to some of these places with very little you know, how's the federal government going to have – I mean, is the federal government going to have to step in here and force the banks to make the loans to some of the companies? Um, well, yeah. You know, if they try to hang on to these employees, I, I think every CEO is going to do what you're saying, Carter. They're going to try and hang on to their employees and keep it going. But I, I'm letting you know, you could go from – you just look what they did to Boeing debt uh, on Friday. They downgraded the hell out of it in a hurry, in a flash. Delta was yeah. forecasting 15% setback on Tuesday. By Friday, they went to a 40-plus setback. And I think by Monday, they're going to go to even a bigger set. You know how fast things start to extrapolate when, you're, uh, when you, you get this type of lockdown. So, you know, I'm just curious, you know, how, you know, like Andy and I were saying, what, I, look, I think you got to be very I think you've got to be a leader at this point. And, well, here's another perfect storm. All those – everybody's been talking about income inequality. Now, if you're one of the unequal and you have cash, honestly, I, I'm not sure that they're in love with having somebody like Bernie become president. There's, there's a lot of ample opportunity for companies and people that are in a cash position to, to go long on making sure that they – they take care of their take care of their employees in a particular way to try to bolster that. So I think we'll see things lean in that direction. I don't know what the total calculation is, but but people will lean in that direction. I I don't know how you deal with sector risk like travel. I mean, you're just screwed <laughs> on on the travel industry. So they're going to take a huge hit both on the Boeing side and the the airplane side. Um, and they're going to require some kind of bailout. Um, well, but hotels and, and, and all service businesses are, are yeah. vulnerable, and that's where your lower bracket income earners are, are, are reside. I and I, what's the other answer? We we back them up as much I, as I, we can, and we got to put them to I work by putting in the right I, mitigations. I, I, I frankly don't see the Fed having a role here. I don't think interest rates at 1% or 0, zero make a, a, a hill of a, a being different because it's not a matter of is there money available to loan. It's, it's a matter of and at what rate. It's 
this is going to require, I think, more of a, a treasury function than a Fed function, and, and, and it's going to require more tax incentives and uh, direct um, uh, direct payments. We're going to have to really be outside the box here. And, you know, the, the thing that scares me, if this drags out too long then, and, and you have businesses that are, are, are re, you know, receiving zero income, um, how long can they maintain you know, you, yeah. Disney can't uh, keep the parks closed and movies theaters closed and uh, and, and and do do anything good. And you know, at the same time, you got over ten trillion dollars of corporate debt out there, and five trillion of that is tri- triple B. That's you know on the verge of being junk, and all the pension funds and and hedge funds that have their uh, their mandates are going to have to dump it if it gets there. So, you know, the dominoes could, could be extremely severe. That's what concerns me. One so what's the, what's the, what's the trade? <laughs> I just <laughs> what's the What's the, what's the uh, COVID trade? <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, you know, I, mean, that, short, short, I don't know if you can short Boeing anymore. <laughs> Oh, well, well, last late last week, I think Andy and I were on the phone talking and shit. We were, we, you know, we went short the uh, S and P at Long Rice. I mean, I hate to say it's shotguns and canned goods, but you, you know, I, I we just didn't see the writing on the wall here uh, as we move forward. You know, I, I mean, Andy's got his own story on the rice side, but you know, we've never seen rice in the position it's in. If you you talk about preppers and doom and gloomers, I mean flying off the shelf like crazy, and I can let Andy go into some of that. But when we saw this topple in crude oil, I think like Andy and I said, the uh, the crude oil just getting its face ripped off and uh, the debt side of the crude market and how it's tied to the banks in the banking sector and like Andy's talking with the corporate debt uh, with some of the B-grade paper, we're, we're, we see a little bit of a, for sure, for sure, liquidity issue. And that's why we said – I. You can forecast all you want and cook the books and use the Chinese math you want to use on the uh, forecasting on the earnings moving forward. But we think there's going to be some issues, uh, like Andy's saying, with some hedge fund liquidation, some other liquidations that will, would, as a whole, make it hard for us to believe you're going to go back and retest any type of highs in the market, any type of stock market anytime soon, or you know that you're going to make you're a not substantial sustain We've all route. known that the market's. We've all known the market's been over, has been high for a long time. So that's, and we know that wealthy people have a lot of money in cash. And and so uh, to some degree, we've been preparing for this. We all knew that earnings were going to be bad in the back half. Um, so to some degree, the system has been aware of a problem. Now that's not as much prepping as as we're going to hit. Um, you know, frankly, I think that we're going to hit some number like a hundred, maybe 70,000 dead and the economy will have slowed down a lot. And, and once June comes around, we may very well be in a situation of like, why did we react that way? And we'll be, we'll be back to work. Um, you know, there's a 30% chance that that's going to be the scenario. Well, yeah, that's certainly uh, we all would like to see. I, I know I do, and hopefully that's the case. And, and it, it's look, everyone you talk to says, pretty much says the same thing. 
this certainly seems overblown. And I think, you know, when you look in the rearview mirror in a few months, uh, we're going to wonder what happened, as you just said, Carter. Was this a blip on a chart? And, and we're going to come back and say, wow, what's just happened? But, you know, while you're in the heat of battle, it, it's awful hard to – and you're getting these kinds of reactions from governments. I mean, France has shut down all their restaurants. Israel has, Israel has too, talk of shutting down domestic uh, flights. I mean, Carter, don't you think you have to look at what people are doing and not what they're saying at, at the higher levels of government? Is there something, some deep-seated thing we don't understand or aren't being made aware of that, uh, that, that causes you concern? I don't know. Maybe I'm an opt- I, I don't know. Um you know, I personally, I, I was, okay, I'm a prepper, right? I have got 295 masks. I've got enough food for six months. I've had it that way for 10, 15 years. Um, so I guess I knew this was going to happen at some point. So yes, but then the other side of my equation says, as leaders, we've got to step in and try to close some of this gap. So, and, and somewhere in between, we will figure it out. Uh, I don't know what that translates into a trade. I did buy long on uh, Vapo, which is a respirator technology that's novel, and some other things that deal with cytotoxins, which may be a problem, um, and bought Zoom early in the process. I uh, and I think that's up twenty percent. Um, I mean, here's another broader issue: is we've had a market that's been passive. There isn't. I mean, nobody's an active trader any longer. It's like a change. This doesn't answer the immediate question, but two years from now, are we going to be back to ETFs, or are we going to be active traders again? <laughs> Yeah, that's, Does that's anybody even tough. know how to be an active trader? <laughs> I mean, you guys have been well, through these to... evolutions. I mean, you know what well, it was like. Well, Jeff, you live more book and dust, and blow and dust it off. But uh, yeah, I think we're that's a that's a question uh, that we'll, we'll we'll address down the road. You know, I mean, I think here and now, you know, some of the sectors. I mean, look, look at. It's not even following what you would the conventional wisdom would be. Stock market goes down. You have these economic volatile times. You'd expect gold to be over two thousand dollars an ounce now. Contrary, in the last three days, it's broken two hundred dollars an ounce. And maybe it's because of mining stocks and debt and, and and some of these other issues we were discussing on the. Well, everybody's on the trying to get liquidity. Here's, here's the thing: everybody in the world liquid. wants to be in dollars at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. So I would imagine everybody's moving to the dollar around the world as quickly as they can. Oh, hell, we saw the 30-year blow 1%. I mean, who would ever thought we'd see that in our lives, let alone, you know, in, in days and, and the 10-year down at, at 0.32. Um, you know, th- these are moves that you couldn't have anticipated a month ago, three weeks ago. You never would have thought possible, but, but here we are. So everything's happening a lot of it contradictory to, to conventional wisdom, um, and it, it really is causing we're, – we're starting to see where the cracks in our, in our armor are. I certainly think our economy is probably the healthiest it's been in my life. 
Um, and so I think we're better prepared for it than many other countries, or we would have been had we have gone a different way, uh, you know, four years ago. But but at the same time, um, it doesn't mean it's not going to be without a lot of pain. And, and I think our economy certainly is 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 the, is the uh, gold standard. And so when you look at China and the problems that they've had, you look at Europe and the issues that they have. Um, I think we'll be weathering the storm better, but it doesn't mean that uh, you know a global recession is, might not be at hand, and that this is the catalyst that took us there. Yeah, I mean, my sense of most recessions come from overproduction. I guess if we if demand falls off by default, we have overproduction. Um, but. Uh, we also, as we've moved more to an information-based economy, you don't have as, you know, there's value being garnered by intellectual pursuits. So the concept of overproduction is a little bit harder to comprehend in a classic Adam Smith kind of way. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not positive what to do in the near term, other than it's not a bad idea to have cash. And, you know, take responsibility and keep your, as, as many employees stable as you possibly can. Um, there's certainly good stocks out there. Which I, one? I can't think of what, well, I mean, they're just things like Vapo, which is, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't mean to drive anybody in any particular thing. Zoom, Zoom to have a field day. Here's one for you. You spend $240,000 to send your kid to Harvard, and he can learn the same goddamn thing over the web. What if everybody catches on to that farce? Well, I think that's the, that's the conversation Bingo. we've had. We've had with several fun people in this last week, and I was telling the wife and kids, and, you know, out of every bad thing comes something different and new, and, and, and we're going to pivot and we're going to turn. And, you know, you yeah. really have to try and not think so much. You know, I mean, what's going to happen is going to happen. We have no control over the number of deaths, really, in some of these things. But we do have some control over our thoughts on what's going to come about as we move forward. And, you know, let's think of that for a moment. My wife and I were sitting around talking. We, you know, we suspect that the movie theaters are probably done. Uh, we heard yep. Disney, you know, Disney Plus is going to roll out their new – uh, streaming again for uh, free for people that are stuck home, and they're rolling out uh, their newest their newest movie. They're, they rolled it up forward so people could watch it while they're at. But now they have postponed and delayed making all movies for uh, an indefinite future, and so are the other people that are going to make movies. So we've got to believe we saw AMC stock drop almost three bucks. I mean, I think the you know just as the drive-in movie theaters went out. Uh, on the last recession or the break, I, you know, you're going to lose the movie theaters. You're going to lose some things. But like Carter says, you know, maybe Slack and Zoom and these maybe conferences become more uh, virtual. And, and people, you got to believe businesses who are right now, Microsoft and Google, who are shutting down and telling their employees to work from home, they're going to find out that, hey, maybe that works. Maybe yeah. that saves us a shitload of money, and, and we can make that pivot. So maybe that's uh, uh, something that transpires and comes back. You know, and, and out of all of these, there is going to be innovation that breeds, and that you know, the bad times. Yeah, the bad times are what 
bring about that innovation and really make things, uh, you know, that's the, the law. That's where you got Yeah, that's where you got a chance to make a ton of money. Is if you can think a little outside the box on what type of innovations and how this is going to change our lives uh, moving forward. And, and you know, I think. You know, if you guys have any insight or if you've thought about that or, you know, if we can challenge people to think that way, I think that's going to be very, well, I very bought, important. I bought Intel and Microsoft at the bottom, at least of this cycle. God knows it's probably going to go down another 20%. But, um, yeah. you know, anybody on the information economy side I think you're is right. – they're going to learn things. I'll give you an example. When – I can't remember which store did this, but – they were challenged on Beyond Meat. They said, they were like, hey, Beyond Meat really doesn't sell. And someone said, why don't you stick it in your meat counter? It's, it's not meat. Like, well, just do it. And the guy moved it over there and sales went up 20-fold. Yeah. It was some, and he's like, oh, my God. And so, now, I you know, that was before. Beyond, I, I, I liquidated some Beyond Meat this week into the downstroke. I had a fairly decent-sized position. Uh, and I was going to continue to add to it, and I changed my thought a little just because as I watched Italy close restaurants and, and bars and I watched some other people start to close these restaurants and bars uh, and different uh, types of entertainment things, I think that possibly could start to happen in certain areas here in the U.S. I saw they put a curfew out in uh, parts of New Jersey and some of the other places, and they're going to start hunkering down. You know, beyond meat, I think a, a majority of a lot of their sales come from restaurants and, and those types of facilities. And so we kind of scale back on our holdings in Chipotle, yeah, beyond but, uh, meat. Yeah. I'm sorry. The, the reason I just bring it up is that it, yeah. people were marketing it one way, and they realized if they market it a different way, it changed their thinking. I think that workers working at home, Netflix, all those people could be like, hey, this sort of works. Why do I have all these facilities? Right. Let's look at China. I think it's over. Their swine industry is going to have huge pressure on it. <coughs> We've already forgotten all the swine that they killed, but they've had the wrong practices in husbandry for years, and it's gone unaddressed. Right. They're going to have to change those practices, and what is that going to beget? Yeah. I mean, is I mean, the I cost do think of production going to of- go up, or are they going to... Are they going to move away from animal proteins, or, I mean? I don't know, Andy, you hearing much on that? I, I hear their demand uh, for beans is, you know, I think we're we're looking good in that direction. I think crushes are starting to come back and starting to make some movement. I think Andy and I both said we think China is going to come to the U.S. for beans. I think the window of when that happens is probably a little later than we had hoped or anticipated. But, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's right. I certainly think that the end, the expectation has to be there. I mean, you know, uh, the trade deal is going to cost them what, what's fifty dollars, a billion dollars when you're talking trillions. I mean, it, it's 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 a, it's a nothing denominator. So yeah, they'll be in to buy beans. And uh, but as you said, Kevin, the question is when. And if the longer you push things back, and the and the more you suppress that kind of demand, the more our carryout grows and and and, and the like. And 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 you know. Uncertainty just breeds, you know, concern and lower prices. And uh, that, to me, seems to be the issue. It's not a matter of if, just when we start to see a resurgence of, uh, of demand and, 
our our ag markets to have a greater stability going forward. Corn might be a but won't they? I mean, looking back, I I don't know. Won't China have to change its fundamental practices in swine? Oh, you would think Mm. versus them too, for sure, to some degree, doesn't it, Andy? I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, they, yeah. they will unless, unless we find, uh, um, and there's all sorts of people that are saying that they have a, uh, a, a cure for uh, for, for uh, swine flu. So with that, can it go back to the large breeding farms and, 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 and production facilities that are efficient and, and the like? Yes. Um so I don't know if, the, if if this is going to be the event that, that that changes all that. I think what I really look for is, at least from our our perspective is, is from the U.S., is that you know 95% of all our antibiotics are made in China. We have all sorts of other national security related items that are made in China, and you know we've just kind of pushed everything off to the least cost producer. But I certainly think that we're going to give that a whole new rethink, and that we're going to become uh, a, a lot more sensitive to what we have to produce here to maintain our, you know, our our, uh, our national security. And, and I think there'll be a, a whole host of things that come about uh, from that, not just from the U.S., but other countries as well. That'll be an interesting play on how that all plays out and in, in, in the dynamics going forward. Well, hopefully we'll replenish our national stockpile. Um, the dirty little secret is after the swine flu in '09, we didn't replenish it. So we had, I think, 30 million masks on hand in the national stockpile in '09 that got distributed, and we never bought them to replace them. So we could have fulfilled. And we should do the same thing on antibiotics. And I'm a little concerned they didn't do that. But uh, we buy a lot of antibiotics from China, and they buy cancer drugs from us. So there's trade as a way of balancing out geopolitically. Um, But the geopolitical, I think, the world is going to look a lot at the United States for best practices in how to work in this environment vaccines. The rest of the world has a lot to offer in this regard, but there's a lot of leadership the U.S. can produce in many of its industries. And we have more resilience since we're a more information-based economy. And everybody wants to be in dollars. Um, I don't know what that all means completely, but uh, being long, good information technology companies is probably not a bad idea on the dips. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can, I could uh, argue that front for sure. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, specific wise, anybody dipping a toe in the water here? Uh, you know, in, into the stock market right here, Andy. You guys, you doing anything on your guys' end or Carter? I did a little Netflix. I did a bunch of Intel. I did a bunch of Microsoft on some big dips. Um, yeah. A couple random healthcare stocks that are very specific to to uh, this outbreak. Corona. Right. Um, 
What do you think, AD? I, I'm I'm not ready to stick my toe in the water. I uh, I'm trying to hedge my existing portfolios with short uh, e-minis, and, um, and and I'm not looking at any sector specifics. Although I do emphatically agree with all the things that you both have mentioned in terms of uh, uh, tech stocks and and uh, some of the home communication, anything to do with uh, um, home communications and and uh, um, expanding the gig economy, I think, are, are going to be winners on a, on a long-term basis. I think yeah, the, the whole concept of working in offices, even though that was losing a lot of its luster lately with WeWorks and everything else, I think it, this is going to uh, exasperate that. And, and uh, you know, you look at universities, and as you said earlier, you know, now that they're going virtual, uh, we'll see how well that plays out. And if, it, uh, if it's as successful as it possibly could be, then uh, I, I think that, you know, we cannot maintain this current uh, university cost versus uh, uh, return on, on education with uh, what, what you make coming out of school anymore. And I went to school, and I, I paid seventeen five a year at uh, Tulane University. A generation later, my son goes to the same school, and it's 68000 bucks a year. And, and that's one generation apart, a ninefold increase in education costs. I graduated, went to work in a soy processing plant for Continental Grain, making seventeen five a year. My nephew came out, went to work for Bungie in a soy processing plant, making forty eight thousand a year. Same exact industry, one generation apart, and so cost of schools, comparing apples and apples, same university goes up uh, uh, ninefold in cost, and the and the and the benefit of that goes up two and a half times. And at the same time, we've added a trillion and a half dollars of student debt. So. There has to be something that breaks or is an alternative because we can't do that another generation. So virtual is going to be a big deal, and, and anything dealing with that is, is worthy of uh, exploration. Yeah, two, I think there are flip-the-switch moments that may come out of this. I think it's time to call bullshit on the, on the college model. Yep. And, and move it to targeted education using the best technology. If you got to go to med school, that's something different or engineering school. Maybe that's a little bit different, but not according to Bernie. But, yeah. But I think that we're going to, we're going to rethink that model and it's more, it's way late. We should have rethought that model some time ago. So that's thing one thing two is we have anticipated through our venture investment, that the whole clinical model is going to change. Um, cancer treatments are going to protocols, and protocols can be implemented by bots and by routinized systems. So the same is true in many other clinical areas in which we're going to see the best doctors go and develop those protocols, but they're going to be executed through systems of delivery that don't necessarily require 20 years of training to be able to deliver. And we're going to see people are going to say it's bullshit, but I had to wait for this test. Any, multiple, clinic, multiple labs could have run this test, but they weren't allowed to because the FDA said that they had to run a certain protocol, they had to use the CDC method. It didn't matter what other technology was available. So that's going to end. It's over. 
we can't sit there and and when when a bunch of people can hack into the biology of this stuff and understand it, uh, it's just going to end. And other people are going to come in and, and solve that problem. So you're going to see a massive shift on how to leverage data for healthcare and using data to deal with 60, 70% of the clinical settings. And I think it's time for that transformation to start. It already has started, but those are two big areas where we have certainly anticipated a change. We haven't invested on that education side, but on the healthcare side, we're invested across the board long around the idea that we'll see the number of clinicians going down, not up, and that the, the pace of healthcare will be dramatically accelerated with data. Like right now, if we were able to sequence all these genes of this virus and watched it in the background, you know, the cost of sequencing is coming down. I just ordered a whole genome sequence for two ninety nine. That same sequence would have cost two point five billion in two thousand. Two point five billion. Well, we went from two point five billion to two ninety nine. And before you know it, every day when you go into your wake up in the morning, you're gonna be sequenced. And it's gonna say, Hey, you have COVID nineteen. Go see somebody. <laughs> Isn't that really just a function of computational capacities and the ever-expanding, doubling cube that we do every yeah. year? I mean, yeah. It, it's, I and it's exponential in its nature. And mm -hmm. so you'll wake up one morning, it'll say you have COVID-19, you'll know instantaneously, it'll immediately tell you, execute this procedure. It will know what you've been doing recently. It'll go back through your, through your history and figure out who you contact traced, and it'll happen instantaneously, and and we'll know about this stuff quickly. Um, it'll be invasive, but good. Uh, I mean, one movement that I'm trying to get going is uh, donate your data to science. Is why for as much as HIPAA is blocking blocking the availability of this analysis. I don't know why people can't elect to give up their data, their healthcare data to science. Now, some people say, well, you give up privacy. It's like only if you check the box. <laughs> but if a few more people did that type of work, we would get the amount of more information we would have is to figure out healthcare. Would, it would be a total revolution. And, and now's the time to do that. Well, it sounds like there's some good things that are going to come out of this, uh, and uh, but but the question is when. Um, Kevin, what's well, your best guess? I mean, how do you see this playing like out time-wise and market-wise? I'm playing out the long ball. I, I I think the bet isn't on the virus. I think the bet's on the reaction. And like I said, I think the trading world has changed. The quants and the algos, we now have to try, you and I, Andy, and, and the individual, like uh, Carter said, traders, we have to try and figure out what the quants and the algos and the high frequency and the AI uh, models are going to say and how they're going to maneuver. And I think it's going to be based on the headlines in the human psychology. We can say we don't like the social media and we don't like everyone flipping out and, and uh, the craziness that has uh, embarked, but, but it's going to be it's the world we now live in. And uh, the world we now live in has changed just as I was sitting here. Michelle was saying, you know, Illinois and Ohio leaders are pressing uh, 
their states to close all restaurants and all bars. And uh, like I said, we've never seen anything like this in our life, and, and certainly not in my lifetime, and I know not in my uh, parents' or grandparents' lifetime. Uh, where you've seen this type of hell, we had uh, we got planes running into buildings in 9/11, and we were playing baseball two days later. We were shutting down domestic travel for for moments. Uh, I mean. You're, you're talking complete closures across the board on this thing, and the reaction is, I think this is just the initial reaction. Um, you let some tents get set up in these Target parking lots and these Walmart parking lots, and you get some triage centers set up outside of these hospitals, and you, I, and Carter, we actually know people that are in the tents. I, I think I think things are going to escalate even further from here. Um like you and I used to say, Andy, we, we didn't know any kids when we were younger. We went to school with kids that were on all these meds and anxiety meds and everything. We, di- we didn't live in that world. Well, well that's well, the world we live in now. That's the well, world we on. live in now. Uh, but, but let's go back to there. There are people that will be listening to this that do remember polio. And okay. polio was like this. Polio. Like Without the social media, though, Carter, there's a big difference. Yeah, that's I, I the get problem. It. The I get media. it. Hold on. I, I get it, but I remember the one thing that scared my father more than anything that I sensed fear from him was polio. Yeah. I mean, it, even so, at, in 1980, like, he still communicated the fear he had when polio hit. So I think that it's it's worthwhile turn to people who lived through polio and sort of ask them what was that like? And that's about the closest analogy, I think, unless you've got there's not a whole lot of people that were around when Spanish flu was okay. around. But I'm in agreement with you, but we go back to that day. My mom and dad, your other people, they went to work. They just read a newspaper. They weren't inundated 24-7 with the blaring sirens and the red alerts and holy smokes, the sky is falling all day, every day, these last week or two weeks. So this immediacy of, you know, I'm on the Titanic and every two seconds I'm being, I'm being told the the, the damn thing's sinking. Well, I'm letting you know, you're going to have a problem. And, And all I'm saying is, as leaders, I think we need to understand that, uh, and we have to tell people, listen, calmer heads have to prevail. Don't get sucked into this this vortex with these people who are going to chase this craziness on this social media, and they're going to pull us down. I mean, there's, I believe the market has a lot more room to the downside, in my opinion, as we assess the carnage and the fallout of all this panic and closure. But somewhere somehow we are going to come out on the other side uh, in, in a better place with better oh, yeah. things. Uh, and, and, and the world is going to be a better place, but, you know, how do you see that vision through all this craziness? And, and all I'm saying, like Andy said, I, I think it gets, be- it gets worse before it gets better uh, at this point in time. And I don't know, you know, I'm thinking four to six weeks from now, I think when you probably see peak problems in our face uh, when you get these kids all back from spring breaks and all these parents and people that have traveled to other places back from spring breaks and you let it brew for a couple of weeks, you know, you're probably going to start to really be inundated then on social media with some, what I would consider people that know someone or can touch someone that has been impacted. 
And that's probably, I guess, peak. When Michelle and I were down at the Super Bowl in Miami, I started liquidating some things. And, and I remember Jordan saying, Dad, you're too early. You're out of touch with this uh, market. It just keeps going higher and making new highs. And I said, patience, you know, young grasshopper. When you start seeing people walking around in Kansas City with masks on, you'll know we have reached peak fear and worry. Well, we're not there yet. And like Andy said, I don't see people walking around with masks on. I still see kids going out. There was lines at bars in Kansas City. Uh, they were showing on TV last night. So I don't think you're seeing any type of peak panic yet. I mean, you're, you're seeing people going nuts at Costco's, and there's lines around the stores and people fighting people for toilet paper. But let them get where they can know and see and touch someone that this is impacting. And I think if you see more people out with the mask on, I think that will be the sign that maybe we've reached peak chaos. And maybe that's a bottoming type process. I'm, you know, and, and out of that rubble, I think then you're going to have to try and assemble the pieces and see how we come back online. What I'm hearing from the real estate people, because as you guys know, I'm probably most all of my or big majority of my wealth or assets are into real estate. We're supposed to close on another building two more buildings actually um, in the next 45 days. And I am really, really uh, second guessing to, to some degree here. You've seen the fallout in Airbnb, some of our properties and buildings that uh, we play forward with that or the WeWork type scenario on the office space. I saw Carl Icahn talking. He was shorting the hell out of uh, a couple of the ETFs and the funds that were backing mortgages on hotels office complexes. He was more focused complex. on low-end retail, I think. Yeah, he just believes, you know, the people that are back in those mortgages, I mean, I, I don't see how I don't see how they make it. I, you know, and it, it, our Airbnb bookings are starting to drop now like a rock. Airbnb pushed their IPO back. You know, they were going to roll it out here in March, April. Now they're talking 2021, maybe even 2022. I'm not even sure they'll survive. I mean, I'm not sure that that the next Airbnb might not be, be the one. I, I'm not sure because you, you're having massive fallout in that sector. Um, you know, Michelle and I tried to get as liquid as we could get. We're, we're in a good position at this point cash-wise with dry powder. But I'm going to be keeping my eye on um, some of the properties uh, along the ocean fronts and, and some of the higher-end traffic places where we know of we know of individuals and businesses that are, you know, well extended in this Airbnb, you know, buying properties, renting them, or using them on the VROB or any of the other prime real estate places, I think they're going to get smashed. I mean, I think they're going to have a massive fallout. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how long that takes to play forward, Andy. I mean, you know, I mean maybe that's a 6- to 12-month outlook. Um, but I've, I've questioned, I've asked, Carter, and I'll ask Andy as well as we, as we kind of try and come to this, how, how does Disney World come back online? You know, how, how do you all clear and then everyone just brings their kids back down to uh, get on the teacup ride and lick the uh, saucer? You know, how, how, how do you get Disney World to come back online and everyone say, hey, it's all cool and we're back in? They'll just stumble their way in. I don't know. I, uh, what's going to happen is you're going to see everybody with masks. And I don't. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm, like the cruise line. I mean, but look at what happened in online. Stars. 
what happened in SARS? They they all started wearing masks and they went to work. So there'll be a hey, certain point SARS. where that reality will force its way in, and kids will still want to go to Disney. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. No, but, no, I'm just saying what time frame do you see that being where people would come back online and life's back to normal like we know it before this? I think we're going to go... We're going to go down. People are going to get knocked around over the next two or three weeks. And I think by June, we'll have figured out how to deal with it and how to get back to life. And life may be different at that point. Will people go back to Disney World in June? Half of them, half as many as would have will. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to yeah. take a belief that we have a vaccine or we have a treatment that is uh, um, is very efficient and effective at a minimum. And, if, yeah, Carter's right. It's going to take a while. And Kevin, I think it's going to take a while. I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening overnight. It's not flipping the switch and the light comes on. It's going to take time. It's in, you know, a lot of things are going to – well, I, I, I just don't see how – how we, I don't see how we, how we get around a recession of some sort. I just don't see it. We're going to have a recession, but I think it's, and it's, the Fed just went to zero. Um, I wonder if it's no. ever done that before. Has it ever done that before? Did they come out and make an announcement right now? Yeah, uh, today? Yeah, um, Really, just an emergency announcement, huh? Um, well, it's kind of interesting timing of these things. Uh, you know, Trump holds a news conference right, at, uh, right as the market's closing. We rally a thousand points, and as the night market's opening, they make another announcement. Okay, there's not a bullet left in the gun. We're shooting blanks now, people. Where do we go from here? You're at zero. And I'd argue that yeah. borrowing money has never been an issue. It's, not, it's still not the issue. Yeah, just let the con- people know. We always like to use the analogy with the Fed. It's similar to a 10-speed bike. If, if the Fed, you know, you, a 10-speed bike makes the, the bike easier or harder to pedal based on their monetary policy, and, and they're trying to make it as easy to pedal as possible. But if the U.S. consumer, which is over 70% of our GDP, hits the brakes completely, uh, the bike's not going to go anywhere, you know. We're hoping that the U.S. consumer is, is – only going to gradually hit the brakes, but what has myself and Andy and others concerned is this closing of uh, baseball and closing of Disney and closings of all these things is going to psychologically cause the U.S. consumer to massively hit the brakes, and uh, that's why I think we're all in concern. So when are we going to Yeah, recession's probably coming our direction. The length of time is what we're trying to debate and the severity of that drop, and Carter's what's trying to be optimistic. What what's the time? canary in the coal mine? What's the canary in the coal mine in that case? How do we know that the consumers are hitting the brakes in a way that matter? Well, I think you just simply walk outside and go to your airport, and uh, there's no one there, and you go to your restaurant, and they're all closed, and you go to the baseball stadium and there's not a soul there and you go to Disney world and there's not a soul. I mean, we're in a world that we've never seen. And that's why I said, you can sit and say travel and entertainment is 5%, 10% of global GDP is what they want to shave. 
No, I think it's going to be more than that. I mean, I know you've had some runs on Costco and those types of things, but you're talking about people coming to a, a, a pretty substantial standstill. Look what happened to palladium prices this week. I mean, you had a 30-some percent drop in palladium, and, and you start to ask people, why, why in the hell? And they're like, well, nobody's going to buy new cars. People aren't going to buy cars. There's no commuting going on. Nobody's going to work. So, you know, you start to extrapolate this forward, and it's like, holy shit, I mean, you, you're, you're talking a pretty massive squeezing of the brake, so to speak, on consumer spending. Uh, and that's why I think it's so much different than any other breaks we have seen, at least historically in our times, uh, where this is a real demand-driven break. I mean, you're, you're talking consumer demand coming to a stop. So I, I think that's a little scary for for our perspective anyway. Yeah, well, I think I, I, be, you're on a slippery slope right here, and you've got to be a little hesitant and a little careful not to just buy every dip or buy every break like a lot of people have proclaimed or self-proclaimed that's worked in years past, which, eh, this is a difference. I, the game's changed here. Yeah. I don't deny any of that. It's, uh, we can affect it. I don't know how much we can affect it, but we can affect yeah. it. And it, I think well, that it's, number it's a function of, of, of confidence and, and consumer confidence. And if you don't have consumer confidence, you, you can't do it as an individual. You can't do it. It has to be felt. It has to be something that, you know, I mean, we, we, we had, what, the, the, the highest satisfaction level a month ago that we've ever had it. What, what was the number, 76 or, or 86% or some, something astronomical? Um, and, and, and if you take that measurement again a month from now, it's going to be – it could be in the teens. You just don't yeah, have that confidence. We have, confidence. have to ask quickly. ourselves, Andy, it's this – We've clearly spooked the herd. I don't care if it happened, what reason it happened, why it happened, or social media or the buyer. What, we have certainly spooked the herd. And the question then you have to ask is how, how does the herd come back? And, and which direction are they going to run when they come back? And, and what time frame will we come back as consumers and, and aggressively uh, jump back in? And, that, and that's really my, my big question. That's what I'm trying to figure out as an investor is, you know, are people going to come back in the same capacity? And like Carter's saying, maybe education changes, maybe social media changes, maybe uh, video viewing changes. I, I, you know, I like the, the kids playing games against their neighbors at home, you know, like EA Sports and Take-Two Interactive and Activision. You know, they probably come out ahead long-term. And, I don't, I don't and know. People it's make – be those are new markets and people make money. Um, the, mm-hmm. There's a book – We've all heard it. Fourth turning, it's how it's, and they actually almost nailed it in terms of this forecast. Um, in their book in '97, basically said we would hit the the fourth turning, a major shift right around this time frame, cool. and that's really because of demographics. And I think that the the Gen Z demographic, so the 23 and under. Is entrepreneurial. They they don't pay attention to the fake news. They've they've tuned that out. They're enthusiastic and they're not being hit by this right now. So as long as it doesn't hit that, we have a there's a certain resilience and then the, the ignorance of youth that the fact that they are all out, I think, is a sign of some goodness 
I, you know, the decision to isolate the 60 years olds and older is in the grand scheme of things, probably the right answer because that's, that's a, that's one big shock, but I'm not sure you're going to keep that youth at bay. Um, and I'm still trying to sort through the demographic shifts here. Whenever we would look at these forecasts, when I was involved in DOD stuff, trying to figure out what was going to happen in the future, I, I did that a lot right around the 97 time frame. And a lot of the things we forecasted came true, and most of those things that we forecasted came true, that analysis was all demographically driven. It didn't matter who was president or what was going on. It was more demographic shifts. Um, and so I don't have an answer yet, but I'm paying, I'm thinking a lot more about this is something that hits old people. Containment can pull things back. We have a pretty resilient economy because we're not making steel anymore. Uh, a lot of our GDP comes from soft stuff that can ramp back up and ramp down. Uh, and very quickly, we're going to figure out how to get back to work because the only thing stopping us from working is social distancing. So if we can figure out how to eliminate social distancing, we can get back to work. I get the demand part, um, and we're going to have a demand shock for a while, but uh, Asia under SARS figured their way through this. Uh, and I think we're going to take a lot of lessons from that. The other thing on the on the public policy side is I think the the memory of what we did wrong in 08 is in the mindset of the politicians now. And I I do think they're actually going to make some better decisions to get ahead of the problem. I might be just wrong on that, but I it already feels like the Dems and the Republicans are are not getting too hung up. If you remember TARP, that whole thing took forever to get through and almost fell apart when it had to happen. Uh, and they got through this time without that same kind of mess. But we're going to know a lot more in two weeks. Well, I would agree with that. And, uh, you know, I don't think we've come to any uh, formal conclusions. I don't think there's a conclusion to be had. I think it's been a very... Uh, productive, um, 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 thoughtful conversation. Um, I want to thank uh, Kevin for uh, creating this uh, opportunity for us to uh, put together this this uh, new format and uh, hopefully the podcast in the future. And um, Carter, I want to thank you for being a part of this conversation today. It's uh, As always, uh, it's been very uh, informative, interesting to uh, get your perspective and uh, Look forward to a future podcasts with you as well. Great. My pleasure. Appreciate it, Carter. I'm sure we'll uh, talk to you a ton more. I know Carter, like uh, Andy and I both know, we're invested with Carter. And she's got some great thing, good things going on on the ag tech side that we're excited to bring to everyone, and we're going to sit down and uh, really dig into that once we kind of get past this uh, helter-skelter period here in the markets. And I know Andy and I want to explore some new ideas and thoughts with uh, some of our friends in the ag industry and where we're doing uh, some neat and innovative things with uh, our investment money and, and where we see some big change coming. So I know Carter's going to be a part of that moving forward. 
Andy, I know you and I have a lot to uh, discuss with some other uh, folks that are, are bringing new things on board. So it should be great. Look forward to it all. And all righty, guys. Get through all We're innovative <laughs> people in this innovative country, and uh, it will will come out on the other end, as we've all said today. And I uh, just need to reiterate and uh, continue to believe with conviction. You are right, sir. So, All righty, Carter. Thank you, guys. You have a good week. Yep. Stay safe. Thanks. All right. Bye.